Hello, this is Len Tengis welcoming you to the iPodcast AGCMO Weekly Podcast. In each episode, we'll feature information about a contractor, specialty contractor, supplier, contracting agency, owner, or legislative or regulatory issue pertinent to the construction industry in Missouri. We'll feature industry professionals and other construction industry representatives to help our listeners stay up to date with current and future trends in construction. So here we go. Welcome back to iPodcast AGCMO. Today's guest is Adam Castelli, and Adam is the Director of Business Development for Home Service Oil Company. Adam, thanks for being here. I appreciate you having me. Tell me a little bit about now, it says Home Service Oil Company, but you do more than Home Service Oil. Tell me a little bit about what you all do. Yeah, we, we're not an oil company like ExxonMobil, Philip 66, Saudi Aramco. We are what's called a downstream oil company. The reason it's home service is people used to get serviced at home because that was how they heated their houses. That's what grandma and grandpa had uh, keeping them going through the winter. So you've kept the company name, but what do you do now in the commercial world? In the commercial world, we're what's known as a downstream oil company. So between the oil refinery and the gas tank, there's a series of you know, pipelines, terminals, trucking it, setups, the people that are handling it to get it all the way from there all the way down to the end user. So we handle it all through that process. So we're the ones that are, in some cases, selecting the supply, blending, adding additization if there's a particular product that needs to be additized in a certain way, and then getting it to the customer on time, keep them either rolling on the road, working in the field, or just keeping them basically secure in their supply. I think a lot of people know the fuel tank nozzle that goes into their vehicle, and I think they know a picture of an oil pump or a tanker, and everything in between they don't know. So... I'm really looking forward to learning about how that whole stream works there. It's a fascinating industry. I mean, as soon as you scratch the surface in any of these given areas, there's a whole subculture and a whole bunch of knowledge that you can get a hold of. But a lot of it, too, there's a lot of conventional wisdom, a lot of bogus stuff that still kind of goes around. And in some cases, you know, even oil companies will promote some of that to, to kind of muddy the waters. And so I try to be as transparent as possible. I consider myself more of like a, like a logistics and intelligence operator more than like an oil company necessarily because a lot of it's just doing our homework, staying up on what's going on in the markets, and then picking the supply so that we're making our customers as competitive as possible. Let's start from the drop comes out of the ground. Okay. So the drop comes out of the ground. That's transported by ship, in many cases, pipeline. And then that makes it w- its way to a refinery. That refinery could be in the country that it's pulled out of the ground, or it could be thousands of miles away. You know, There's an oil refinery in St. Louis, but then there are oil refineries in Iran. And any point in between there, you could be dealing with the drop out of the ground or what's a f- called a finished product, you know, something after it's been refined. And so, I would guess the drops that come out of the ground are of much different nature depending on where they come out of the ground. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, light sweet, as they call it, all the way to heavier material. And any of those products that come out of the ground, 
based on the characteristics that they have when they come out can only be refined into certain other products or are better used for other or for certain particular products as far as like lubrication as far as jet fuel as far as you know some of them are you could take it out of the ground and put it in the side of your car and uh you know those are the just the various things that they're navigating further upstream by the time it gets to our access it's already either come out of the refinery and is available at what they call the rack in st louis or it's been transported as finished product on the pipeline that ends coming up from the gulf coast on the pipeline system that comes down from chicago or on the pipeline system that comes from west to east and ends in Missouri, Iowa, and sort of to the west of us. St. Louis is an interesting location for the oil industry because we have access to multiple pipeline systems, and each of those pipeline systems may have a different set of economics that goes into it. And so when you see oil go up 5% on a given day, one of those pipeline systems may react to it and the other two may have no reaction at all. I would guess that these different refineries, depending on what sort of raw material they take in, all have different products that come out at the end. You have some who perhaps do the aviation lubricants, some that do gasoline, some that do other sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, they call it cracking a barrel of oil. When you take that barrel of oil and you turn that into, say, three parts gasoline, two parts diesel... Um, or three, two, one, or depending on exactly what machinery exists at the refinery, how advanced it is, how good it is at taking out water or other contaminants. And then the vast majority of the product coming out of that, even oil from thousands of miles apart, from different spots in the ground, from different animals, plants, whatever went into it, the vast majority is still turning into gas and diesel. And those are the things that drive the entire system. You know, if we weren't pulling gas and diesel out of those things, we probably wouldn't be pulling lubricants out of them either. You know, you're talking about maybe 1% of a barrel of oil that actually goes into the more specialized lubricants or, um, you know, naphtha or products that are used for road building, things like that. A little more on the sort of economics of the system too. You know, supply and demand is what we're constantly looking at. And so on a given day, each of the factors that build sort of the oil price to the customer, it's dependent on the overall oil price, but then it's also dependent on all of those elements inside of that system. So the pipelines, the refineries, and then the systems of the pipelines, the geographic area. And basically that constructs sort of a fuel price at the end user's tank. So people will tell me sometimes, especially because we deal with gas stations, what the heck's going on at the market? You know, quick trip over down the road is 10 cents lower than me. You know, these guys are losing money. Are our, our markets going down? No. <laughs> Generally, each of those places in the system can have totally different behaviors, totally different economics. And a lot of times those guys are going down because they want to sell candy bars. Right. Meanwhile, the guys at the refinery are going up because, you know, the hydro cracking material that's coming in is less available to them. There's a lot of pieces and parts inside of that that you have to keep an eye on. So it seems like just an extremely complicated system to try to keep up with and try to understand. So how do you guys fit into this? I mean, what role do you play in that whole... You said you're downstream. Downstream, yeah. Difference between upstream and downstream? Yeah, so 
for us, I don't really mess with what's going on in Saudi Arabia as far as, you know, technically, unless something political or something, some huge amount of upheaval or what OPEC's doing. Day to day, the things that we're doing is that we're watching the markets and we're waiting for, you know, we're watching the price action in the oil. We're watching what the U.S. dollar is doing. So, you know, it affects imports and exports. And then we are watching those pipelines themselves and the refineries that feed into them. So if there's a restriction in supply or there's an incredibly unusually high demand, then those are the types of things that we're watching. So when I log into, you know, a system, I'm watching either an oil pricing service or the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and they're posting the oil price for this month, the oil prices for future months, and then the finished product prices that are based on those oil prices. You mentioned earlier bogus information that you have to deal with. What's some of that bogus information that you're fighting as you're dealing with selling your product to your customers? The biggest ones that we see, the most persistent ones, are usually around the quality of products. You know, if um, diesel is essentially a fungible product at this point, you know, it used to be that the quality of the refining and the manufacturing that product, the people that were finishing it, there could be vast differences. I mean, the cetane numbers or the or the ability of that fuel to be combusted could be totally different coming from one pipeline system or another, coming from one refiner or another. For the most part, the products are quite fungible. And so it's very easy for us to say, you know, okay, if we're pulling off of the Chicago pipeline one day and then there's a refinery fire and the prices spike 90 cents, we'll pull off the Gulf pipeline. That's fine. Um, it makes no difference to us day to day. The only reasons that you would have any kind of a product issue and a performance issue are usually when you're talking about extreme conditions. So conditions such as exposure to the elements, you know, water, dirt, and then exposure to temperature differences. So when you get into a performance situation, you do want to be looking at, say, like a performance additive for the fuel, a cold weather additive for the fuel. But aside from sort of more extreme performance conditions, diesel's diesel, gas is gas. The only way that those products usually get screwed up is later on by somebody downstream, either, I'm not going to say. After it leaves your yard. After it leaves the pipeline. So that pipeline product or the product coming out of the refinery, you know, you're talking about millions of gallons at a time that's going to dozens of destinations. If that product had a problem, it would be a region-wide, you know, it would be a massive issue. The way that those products start to run into problems are generally the handling of that product down to the tank. So if a station starts blowing up people's cars, it's because the tanks in that station, you know, the steel lining of those tanks or the fiberglass has started to break down or, you know, water's infiltrating, something like that. The same thing is true with customer tanks. So a big part of what we do is just kind of keep an eye on things, make sure that they don't have any leaks or other issues. Uh, make sure all the equipment's secured, make sure all the product itself is getting transported in and out of the tank in a way that's going to keep it clean, keep the product integrity high. So that's really the service that you provide as a service oil company. Talk about the service you provide. The biggest part of what an oil company can do is make sure that they are doing their homework so that when the supply points do change, that they're pulling the best possible pricing based on the supply picture that they can see. If they're doing that stuff, 
if they're taking care of business on that end, everything else is all fundamental. You know, are the deliveries making it in time? Are they communicating with you? And then are they providing the expertise on the equipment side to make sure that your product integrity stays high, that your product performance is good, and that the people that you have working are getting what they need? So a lot of times the biggest things that we're dealing with as far as service are actually on site at a given job are you guys having to drive across say several hundred yards to actually get a fill are you guys getting direct fills to vehicles are you guys getting the product an oil company might be able to save you a penny here or there if they're really going after their suppliers Mm -hmm. but the ability for them to save you time and to save people the risk of a product being screwed up is vastly more valuable than the ability of that oil company to save money generally. Generally, we're all pretty much operating on the same economics. We're all pulling from the same pipeline. It's a carrier system that's just like your phone line. You know, There's no phone company that has way faster phones than any other company. So the thing that really is the most important word in the name of your company is service. Ideally, yes. Yeah. Ideally, we really, I mean, when I think about the chart, the organizational chart of our company, you know, it's like the president, the CEO, blah, blah, blah. I always make a bubble at the top. Customer. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so really, if I'm contracting with you or if I'm taking advantage of your service, you're coming in and making sure that whatever sort of fuel I do have coming in gets to the vehicle most effectively, most efficiently, that's where I can really realize some savings because the raw material is a raw material. Yeah, totally, yeah. The The raw material is, is basically the same, but the, the ability of that company to communicate, the ability of that company to deliver on time, and the ability of that company to protect the integrity of that product, those are the things that are paramount. With Chris, we do talk to a lot of customers about how their prices are constructed, so... You know, when a customer is talking about trying to price out fuel over a given period of time, there's a way to get the best price on a day. That's the way that I work. You know, I'm watching the pipelines, I'm beating up on my suppliers, and I'm making sure that I'm getting, on a given day, the best possible price. When you're talking about pricing into the future, though, so pricing based on bids or pricing based on activity that you know is going to happen. Six months from now. Yeah, six months from now, you know, a year from now, things like that. There are a number of other strategies that we get into, and basically what you end up doing is, um, I don't know, are you a gambler at all? (laughs) I try not to be, but I think our contractors are by nature. The way I like to talk about it is that uh, it's the difference between like a slot machine versus the blackjack table. You know, there's a set of basic rules that you can follow, and if you follow those rules, you know that on a given role or on a given job you may win or lose but over time that's a winning strategy and so when people talk about pricing usually people can lock prices in over a term uh, into the future people can base their prices on an index so like a an oil pricing service that sort of publishes information that's available and so you're on the same footing as your oil supplier you can see that the pricing service is telling you one number you add a markup to that, and then that's the price. Or sort of picking and choosing the spots where you're buying fuel or contracting fuel. So the, the sort of like winning blackjack strategy to that is a lot of companies will 
look at when they're trying to make a purchase for well into the future, they're looking to make that purchase during the winter months where demand is low and generally prices on a 12-month basis are at their lowest. And then locking that price in over that time allows them to to take advantage of that. Win some, lose some. I mean, I I think a lot of people could have done incredibly well if they'd all been buying fuel in March of last year. But generally, a lot of them bought in February because they saw that prices were uncharacteristically low and they took they took the opportunity to buy that those prices. But then, you know, coronavirus, all this other stuff. But on the other hand, I had people calling me trying to get rid of fuel, trying to sell fuel because their uncertainty was so high at those times. So a lot of times it takes sort of a little bit of uh, metal and a little bit of security that you know that if you're making these purchases that they're matched up with activity that you know that you're going to have. So well, a big part of construction is risk management. And it sounds to me like home service oil sort of helps with some of that risk management that you're looking at perhaps locking in a fuel price or locking in some sort of long-term futures here that I can at least offload some of that risk. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm not a gambler myself. And so whenever I talk to a company about doing something like that, I always try to make sure that it's matched up with an activity that they're already going to undertake. So you don't want to go out there and buy fuel if you buy fuel at a certain price and then the price goes down and all of your competitors can reduce their prices, you do not want to be tied to that. You would rather take the risk and if their prices go up or prices go down, you can float with that. But if you do have a situation where, and some of these guys that I talk to, they can tell you this machine burns this many gallons per sure, hour they know this their many equipment. hours per day for this many. And generally what I do when I'm talking to somebody like that is, if they have a bid, if they've bid at, you know, say if they bid a job at $3 a gallon and I can get them locked in at 250 then everybody wins because you know that you're locked in. You don't have to worry about if prices go up, if prices go down, you maintain that differential. Generally, though, even in that case, you know, I've just, uh, I just had one of these companies that was looking at potentially locking uh, 100,000 gallons and based on what I was seeing, based on their experience, we locked them in at 80,000 gallons. They're going to use 80,000. That's the way I prefer to do it because that, if they end up using that extra 20, we can do our job and try and get them the best price possible on it. But you do not want to be committed to buying 20,000 gallons that you're not, that you don't have anywhere to put it. Exactly, exactly. Well, Adam, I have learned so much today. I'm smarter now than I was 20 minutes ago for sure. And I'm sure the folks listening to us are, if they want to get a hold of you, they can just look up Home Service Oil in our membership directory, or what's the best thing to do? Home Service Oil has a website, www.hsoil.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn. That's usually an easy way to get a hold of me, because then you can get phone, email, things like that. Adam Costelli, Home Service Oil Company, St. Louis. I enjoy the fuel business. I like looking at the numbers. I like bidding jobs, you know, trying to construct a, a thing that works for a given customer. But the biggest thing that we have to do when we talk to a company is start learning about how they work, what their business is like. And the biggest thing that a company can do to be valuable is learn how you guys are using fuel, what you're using it for, and then fit in 
the best way possible to make it as, as efficient, keep the integrity high, and then keep you guys competitive. So I have an opportunity to have a customized service for my fuel from home service oil company. Yeah, totally. And I would also be remiss not to mention that Chris Oswald, one of your sales representatives, is on our AGC Missouri Board of Directors, and he can be reached at Home Service Oil Company also. If, if anybody else has any other questions, just shoot me an email or shoot me a message. Um, I'm an open book. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. It's easy to subscribe to iPodcastAGCMO on almost any podcast platform that you use. We hope you do subscribe and continue to listen as we move forward with this important project for the construction industry. To access our prior podcasts, visit www.agcmo.org, not only for podcasts, but for additional information about AGC of Missouri.